As much as I like to fight everyone, yeah, yeah. I'm having a pretty good time here. Why you mad? Why you mad? Why you mad? Why you mad? 817. Hello, Luisa. Jake. Hello, Jake. How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great. So I took some very powerful LSD last night. And Is this part of your birthday month celebration? Yeah. I, I, I that you're doing hot girl shit out there. <laughs> it's I'm kind of uh, it's it's a good problem to have, but I'm almost being like like a little bit like, all right, it's over, and then I'm getting dragged back out, and people are like, no, it's not. So I have all these parties. Um, and I want to say this. I know, I know. It's a good problem to have. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to say this was the last party, kind of. And also, I this is a really interesting time to do a podcast because I think I just got out of the acid trip. <laughs> like, literally, I love right. That. <laughs> I, I took so a shower to just now. Oh, that's beautiful. The after tripping shower is wonderful. Although mid tripping shower is also good. But um, please tell me, did what? Did you have any great epiphanies? Did you have anything really troubling you? What happened? Oh my God, my head has been spinning. It was it's really good acid. The last time I did it, so this friend of mine at uh the like the first party when I got out here was like for Halloween, and a friend uh of you know my girlfriend and our whole like friend group and stuff, one of our mutual friends at the party, she's like. Here's a bunch of acid. I just got like a bunch of acid. Um, just have it. Welcome to LA, right? So I took two hits of it the first night that I had like the keys to my apartment, and it was two hits was way too much. I was <laughs> fucking high for like 24 hours, and I, there was no furniture, so I was just like in a room, sitting on the floor, watching like Animaniacs on a laptop, just laughing my ass off, and then cut to like you know 10 minutes later, I'm reading a a Franz Kafka poem and I'm just howling, crying. It was, it was insane. Very powerful shit. So th this time though, I did one hit and it was a party and there were a lot of people there. So it was like a more sane experience. And, um, I, I had this like great conversation with somebody about their, they were telling me about how they owned a hearse and how the hearse was like, uh, green, green, like six feet under. No, it was not green, but it was – somebody told me this uh, This one I'm about to tell you is a plot line six feet under, which I didn't know because yeah. I've never seen it. But they were telling me that when it got old, it you know it's kind of sad because they couldn't really – it's a hard thing to repair an old specific type yeah. of car like that. And also a lot of mechanics are superstitious and they won't work on a hearse. And so I just got so sad for a moment because I was contemplating the life of the hearse being something that serves us by – like valeting us to the grave, you know? Yeah. And then when it dies, we betray it, you know? <laughs> like yeah. we don't get so I was just fucking making up stories <laughs> like this. I don't I'm an artist. My brain's supposed to be doing yeah. this shit all the time, but it's fucking tragic. I can only get there when I like get for a drug forces me to have a good time now. It sucks. Everything is so crippling when you know, you don't just release yourself to like having tons of chemicals shoved through your brain. And it's it's a yeah. problem. And I contemplate every time I, I do acid like this. So I'm, it's very sacred to me. And I, I need to like hold on to it and really try to get perspective from what's in there. And something here's here's something here's what I've been on the whole night, right? So I was thinking about the Sopranos. Let me take you on a journey here. You ever seen the Sopranos? Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> I never finished it. I kind of started watching it a few years ago or like last year because people was, oh, you gotta watch it. 
I got a few seasons in. It's cool. I got kind of bored. But there's this uh, specific plot where Sopranos, right? They're a bunch of guys who live in Italy, or they live in fucking New Jersey, rather. They're Italian guys, but they're American Italian guys who live in Jersey, right? They, um, at like third season or something like that, you can tell the show's doing well, the show gets a big budget. So the plot is that they have to go to Italy, and it's just like hilarious. <laughs> thing. Remember this? <laughs> the only Paul- thing better than that is the episode where Tony has like food poisoning, and it's almost like he's tripping, and then yeah. he's like, he like <laughs> in this like wharf talking to these fish, and they're like the, his friends that he got killed or that he killed directly, but they're like talking to him through dead fish. That is the best episode of The Sopranos. But it's anyway, like <laughs> kind of David Lynchian what they do yeah. with the the fucking dreams and the psychology and stuff, right? So the Italy episode, they go there. It's so funny because like all of the Goomba guys, they're under the impression that they're going to their ancestral homeland, and it's going to be this like great thing where they and get to be like welcomed, yeah. But their like Americanness is so crude. So like you know they have this dinner and they show they serve them like authentic Italian food, and they're like. Uh, can the chef just make me some spaghetti and gravy? <laughs> you know, because gravy is what they call like red sauce. Yeah, <laughs> it's like so insulting. Um, and then something that happens in the episode is that you know, plot-wise, there's some sort of fucking leveraging between him and the old mob boss because it's like where his crime family is from. Yada yada yada. And long story short, the end of it results in him going, "All right." you know what, give me one of your lieutenants and I'm going to take him back to Jersey. And so that's how the show gets this one Italian guy, Furio, who's from Italy and he just has to go hang out in Jersey now with all these guys. And it's funny because it's like, that must have really sucked for him to be like uprooted from his like actual, you know, home in Italy. And then he's going to hang out with these fucking crude dumbasses, right? In the show, I kind of felt bad for Furio. What's interesting is he has kind of a good time, you know? He's like chill with it. He gets what the deal was. He hangs out with the Polly Walnuts and everybody. And here's what I was thinking. He Tony's wife a little bit. (laughs) Forget that part. Mm -hmm. So I moved out here to California from New York, right? And I'm hanging out at these parties and for the first time in a long time, as a fucking comedian and a performer and stuff like that, this is not usually the case. I'm not really the center of attention. Uh, it's not really about me, but I'm very welcome. And it's I'm, it's an equal thing. And it's more harmonious than the when you're an artist and you're trying to push yourself all the time. And it's the you show and you're fighting yeah. for the limelight. I was like, I'm the Furio of this fucking friend group. Yeah, you don't have it. You're not invested in anything yet. You are new and shiny to everyone. You can was, remake yourself. Yeah. Right? Like you can come in and just be like, whatever you heard, look how nice I am. I'm so fun. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, because because of artist brain and because of like entrepreneur brain, that's really hostile, you know, to to like the egocentric telling of the story of your life. You don't want to. You're not Kramer. You're Jerry, right? But like yeah. thinking of it this way, I was like, this actually is kind of interesting because like I should not be like okay with being so outside of my head like that, but I am. You know why? It's because Ask the place I. Know. <laughs> probably hazard. Yeah. It's because of the place I came I'm thinking about like the community that I came from 
living in New York, and it wasn't real. New York, I knew a lot of people and have a lot of friends, but comedy out there, what is this thing that calls itself a community is like a facsimile of a community. It's it's not. It's a it's a weird other type of subculture that like presents itself. It's an okay. Okay, so this hit me like a ton of bricks in like 2020, right? When the lockdown started and the pandemic started, and we didn't know what the fuck the future held existential threat presented itself to us and i remember people started saying like we got to bail out comedians right oh my god we got to fucking bail them out and i thought immediately like this is really stupid because um this is not like a community in the sense that like an ethnic group is a community or like queer people are a subculture or palestinians are like a national like and the the difference is between those things and something like being a comedian is that this is elective right true in a time of crisis palestinians need our support can't elect out of being palestinian yeah like they can't go get a side identity that doesn't want to murder them (laughs) right and that's why there are moments when we're like okay we need to build a support system for people who are palestinian because there's a thing happening to them right now right but like saying like oh everyone who plays tennis we got to fucking help them right now there is like a reddit <laughs> and like a meetup group for that sort of thing and shit sure but when when groups like that and things like subcultures like comedy co-opt the language of community i don't think it's ever for good reasoning and i've i've been trying to articulate this for a long time because there's a thing about it that always seemed fake to me like the idea like you know, you do this long enough and people do kind of write these long Facebook posts and stuff at the end of the year. And they're like, well, you know, the thing I love most about this is that it's a support system. And <laughs> it's, you know, sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's fucking hilarious, right? It's bullshit. Yeah. Although I am totally going to disagree with you on a bunch of stuff right now, but that was really funny. It's true. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's cope with mean- the fact that like you're, you're doing it, you're having a good time in here and stuff like that. But ultimately it's not like it's uh it's weird. It doesn't really actually support the people within it because it's like merit based. Like it's only people who are good at or contribute enough to it really get to be part of it and then get not merit based. Yeah, no, hold on, hold on. So first of all, fucking hilarious to me that on opposite sides of the country, we haven't talked in over a week and both of us in our drug addled experiences pretty much we're thinking about the same things as usual. <laughs> so uh, obviously I wasn't specifically thinking about the Sopranos, but let me start here before I start disagreeing with you. One funny thing is um, you said, you know, you felt like Furio a little bit. And then when you were explaining that, oof, I got to tell you that in the recent weeks, I have been trying to get back out there, right? Like see mm-hmm. shows, see the new comics, see the new producers, you know, like, not network, I don't do that, but I just like show up to see the new shows, right? And I haven't even been doing it a lot, don't get me wrong. I am really having to force myself <laughs> to go out there and do it. But my experience when I have been out recently is sort of like a Tony Soprano experience. <laughs> All right, where's this going? Okay, this is where this is going. And I don't mean to say that I ever was any kind of like big time boss or anything, uh-huh. but I mean, 
uh, sort of like the episodes where whenever Tony had to go to Brooklyn, right, he <laughs> felt sort of like he was like past his prime, right? Yeah. Or like, ah, oh, these people don't even know who I am. <laughs> or like, <laughs> I don't know, but it's not exactly that. It's sort of like just being self-aware that like the new ones are coming up, the young kids are coming up, the new producers and the new comedians and people that are coming up that I'm like, to be honest with you, some of them I'm like, oh, I don't even give a fuck about this. I barely like musical comedy, for example. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I do not give a fuck about your character uh, fucking from facing videos. Like I just don't give a shit. I give a fuck about stand up. That's it. Uh, and that is the reason that I didn't ever progress beyond my little New Jersey fiefdom, right? Let's uh, call it that. Like, if we're still comparing me to Tony. I follow you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that I, was, I never wanted to sell out to Manhattan, right? Like, I never wanted to fold into the hierarchical order of Manhattan and uh, what was expected from me if I did that. And... Where I say that we were thinking about similar things is that, well, okay, before I even go there, well, no, let's go there first. Okay. Is that I was thinking about the fact, you know, I'm fucking old. So uh, I was thinking about how like in the 90s, I don't know, maybe even the early 2000s, we used to have this concept of a sellout. Do you remember that? Yeah, I think about this all the time. I have Gen X values when it comes to art. Yes, exactly. So... <laughs> We, who have Gen X values, <laughs> when it comes to art, specifically, because we probably don't with other things, uh, we do have this concept of sellout that I don't think exists for millennials and younger, right? No, millennials embraced it. I think it's like normal. Yeah, millennials. And so this is connected to what you were saying of like comedy is not a community. Okay, so what I would argue to you after more than a decade, 15 years in comedy here is that there is definitely a community. It's just that overlaid on top of that community is a whole layer of what I call like hustle crabs, right? So they're, <laughs> they're like the crabs that are obsessed with getting out of the barrel. So they are like climbing on top of themselves and each other and doing whatever desperately they could get out to get yeah. out, you know? It's why in New York and probably in LA too, whatever, I'm just going to speak for New York, we have what I call these like transient or like they're temporary they're temporary right so what happened with millennials and younger is that they never had a concept of the sellout so they never really had a concept of the opposite of a sellout which is a person who does their art with integrity no matter what even when a dollar value or fame or celebrity is waved in their face authenticity right? exactly so millennials exist in this world of making art in which they're like, yeah, capitalism sucks and we don't have anything that the boomers had and everything is harder for us. But that just means that I have to work harder. Like it's like a new version of boomerism. Yeah. Right. Where they believe in this fake idea of uh, the merit system that if they are good enough, then they will automatically get there. And then once they sh show up to somewhere like New York they realize being good is not enough. You have to attach yourself to the people who are doing well. You have to be nice to the people who have power to give you spots, to the people who can put you on TV. You got to 
kiss ass and you got to stop being friends with the people who are problematic when it comes to those networking things like all these little, you know, we talked about the artist slicing the meat off (laughs) last episode. (sighs) I've been thinking about so much. All these little ways (laughs) in which you slice off a little bit when you stop hanging out with somebody because they're not doing as well and other comics who are more famous don't want to hang out with them. That's you slicing a little bit away from yourself. Sure. When you stop doing comedy or a joke that you like because it's not what would work at this other place that you definitely want to get in because it's important. Um, That's you slicing a little bit. So mm, what I mean to say is, unfortunately, we have this layer over the comedy community. And I'll get to why I think there's a community in a second. It connects to my Tony Soprano thing. Sure. (laughs) Um, All ears. (laughs) Because I also feel bad. I don't want anybody to think that I'm like, oh, I used to be a powerful mogul and now I'm not and I feel the pain. Like, it's not anything like that. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely not. I'm doing really fine, actually. Um, (laughs) You know, for the situation in the world. But anyway, um, so we have this layer of people who came in already without the concept of sellout and with a concept in their head of like, the only way I can prove let's say to my family or to the world that my choice in being an artist was right is if I get on late night, make this amount of money, have this many followers, uh, have this many famous friends. Whereas Jake, yeah, the whole point of the pre-millennial artistic point of view was literally like, yeah, my parents don't like it. Fuck. Right. Me. Right. Exactly. Like th- that's why, millennials are fucking trads. They're the children of their fucking boomer parents a lot Mm -hmm. of the time. And it's weird because with like the DSA boom and shit, there's so many who are like in some way critical of capitalism. But like really the more I think about this, having crested this wave of like weird, like bougie fucking middle-class leftist thing that happened is I think these people were really fundamentally into turning the entire ideology around. It was like shaving the edges off of capitalism. That's why it was social democracy that was so big and not fucking communism is that uh, these people like at the end of the day, they still have a millennials still have a very cynical outlook and they're like the millennial embrace of fucking pop stars and like people like Beyonce and stuff like that comes from, I think like, imagination closing to the point where it is now beyond the the bounds of imagination for all the reasons you just laid out. Anyone could make art for art's sake. Now you just like the goal is to live through someone who is uh, just like, who's embraced the, the transactional nature of it. Yeah. Well, let's put it this way. Like, I would say to you that most comedians nowadays, uh, with the exception of the ones who are definitely doing the opposite, um, literally their goal when getting into comedy is to get a job. Yeah. Do you understand how insane that is, Jake? Like When I fucking first moved to New York, that shit bummed me out so hard. I dude. think it was so lame. I started doing comedy because I am a lunatic and I up in my life. Up before noon. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I I don't know, I was going to kill myself. Maybe I'll do this instead and see where it goes, you know. Yeah. I, like I was like 
I'm going fuck whatever my parents want, right? I'm can you going imagine, to- Can you imagine if Lenny Bruce was like, yeah, man, I'm just trying to turn this into a good like job with insurance. You know, I would love to write for a good writer's room. <laughs> I would love to, uh, you know, work for a good publication. The Onion, make some good headlines, you know, just whatever, because then I could work at night. Like that- I, when I moved up here, I, I would watch comedians. It made me so angry. They had like little planners and stuff. And they would go to open mics and they would just read jokes like this. And they had the rhythm that was set up, set up, set up, a punchline. And you're like, this is cookie cutter bullshit. And then they would post them on Facebook and they'd be like, here are my jokes of the week. Topical jokes for this yeah. week. Blah, blah, blah. And you'd fucking you'd be like, this that's is like homework. Wolf, that's how Michelle Wolf came up. It's totally doing, doing good homework. Yeah. No, that's what I'm saying. I watched these people get jobs yeah. and I was like, what the f- why would you take that type a fucking brain that's obviously driving that and just get a regular job with it you'll make more money yes welcome <laughs> come to my side um well no and and this is like okay so this is all connected so like the thing is i want to be clear like okay there's nothing wrong if we live under capitalism there's nothing wrong with you fucking going and getting a job and and writing for a show that's great or writing your own show and becoming famous or becoming an actor and like never doing stand-up again fine go do your thing right but let's go back to the transitory what is it like the non-permanent people in the comedy community Uh so we get inundated with people who come here not with an artistic drive, really, Jake, but with a capitalistic drive no different from the dudes who come here trying to work on Wall Street. For real. Right? Except the Wall Street guys are smarter because there's more money in that. Probably. Exactly. Yeah. But also, I mean, this is a this is a tributary <laughs> a side note. But most of the time, the ones that stay in it are people who have money. I just had a conversation with a comic. I was like, I inherited all this money. Yay. I'm like, yeah. Of course you did. You can keep doing comedy. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Michelle Wolf like, was a fucking Wall Street yeah. like motherfucker and got yeah. like a severance package and that's how she got to launch her career. Yeah, exactly. So that just like Wall Street also includes predators, right? Um, that inundate <clears throat> our scene, let's call it. I'm an old raver, so I would call it a scene instead of a community. <laughs> <laughs> but that's so, those are different things is what I'm saying. I guess, but because I'm a raver, I also understand a scene to include a, an aspect of community, an aspect of we understand the rules of respect and and how we treat each other and what is acceptable behavior not. You know, like, but we, but that's the thing is, I don't think that the comedy quote unquote community has that because I watch over and over again someone just like completely, no, you're get, right, you're right, like d- just done dirty, and then the, because everyone wants to get a piece of the fucking person that did it, you're no right, one you're says right. anything. You know, what I always think about when I think about this is uh, Jeffrey Epstein would do this thing. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so like, say you uh, did too much Coke at a really fancy party and accidentally networked your way into like a bunch of a rich people's conversation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you're like, we're all going to go to the Island, you know? And you're like, I-, I guess I'll go. So if you end up on that plane, what people said was that um, he-, he would bring people in who like kind of were, you know, they-, they didn't know entirely what was going on. They were going. Yeah. Got a vibe. And he would just, and this is a trigger warning, sorry, this is fucked up, but on the private jet to the island, he just bust in the room at one point, just fucking a girl. And like, <laughs> the, like people would be like, so shocked by it, you know. But now they're trapped on a plane. Right. It's not and like so, they can leave. 
the reason I think that like he did it and the reason that moment kind of functions a certain way is because like he was like daring you to fucking say something because he knows that you can't because I mean you're trapped because of the plane or whatever, but also because he's like, look, I have like the I have the control because I have all the power in this situation. I want to demonstrate that you yeah. aren't able to do anything. And with comedy and with like abusers and stuff like that, and with like systems that are a fucking and close. Yeah, like, yeah that's why I was like, I know it's not rape or like child abuse, but I've been thinking a lot of these Zionist club owners and you know, like I keep hearing from comics that I know are good people, you know. They, when a comic is not political, meaning like most of the time their material is not directly political, they kind of have an out of like, oh, well, I don't ever really talk about that stuff. But that doesn't mean that you don't personally have opinions or sometimes think of funny things to say and then censor yourself in spaces where not only are you unsure whether you can say it, but the clubs that you're working at literally are running a pro-Israel right tour during a genocide by israel so if the club that you're working for has no problem being political why is it a problem for you only because you're stuck in this power dynamic where you have no option where they're showing you they have the power to tell you what you can and can't joke about without telling you directly that you can't joke about that so the reason I'm drawing this parallel between the Epstein yeah. thing is because I think the function is kind of similar in that he like what he's doing in that moment is he's go he's going out and he's doing something and he's showing everyone a moment where I think the implication is if there's anything wrong with this, someone will stop me right now. Right. And that will yeah. demonstrate that there is a community here that has rules that say yeah. this is bad. And he knows everyone ah. is but Jake, in, but, in, but Jake, in that community, the rules are everybody's down with this. So you are actually faced with, are you going to stand up and say this is not okay? Which also happens in comedy. Well, that's what I'm saying. Is like, yeah. so for, it's for people on the plane that aren't all the way down already. Yeah. Who are like, that's how they he breaks them into the fucking circle yeah, yeah. where they now go, okay, fuck, I'm in the cult. And so with community, like with comedy, when fucking shitheads and systems of shitheads in comedy do something horrible there's a moment where they go like there's a fucking vac the only air comes out of the room for a moment and then the fucking legion of skanks or whatever go well someone will stop me if this is wrong right and no one in fucking comedy does because everybody is motivated by trying to get ahead because of the fucking material stuff you're talking about and that creates inherently something that I think an actual community like that wouldn't happen in. in yeah. theory. That's why I say there's a difference between a community and whatever the fuck comedy is. Which is like I don't a, think it wouldn't happen, but it would get checked. Well, I, I would argue yeah. that, that what I'm arguing is two theories yeah. of two different types of thing. One of yeah. them is warped by capitalism. Yeah. That's what comedy is. And the other one is a more traditional like grouping of people based based on their needs and based on their backgrounds, not based on their fucking goals and their like yeah. interests in, in, you know, getting ahead of, in a game that's on top of a supposed community or whatever. Totally. So back to me being Tony and you being Furio. <laughs> hey, don't. Um, hey, don't. Uh, you can't, don't call me that for now. <laughs> but um, why I meant like, I saw some communities. So like the first part is like, definitely, you know, I don't know, Kenny died. Like there's just been like <clears throat> all this like <clears throat> rehashing of 
or reminiscing, I don't know what fucking normal people call it, of like what it all used to be. And so like a lot of considering on my part and thinking about how different it is post-pandemic in the sense of like what the lockdown did was kind of decimate the version that was really a community. And hear me out. What I mean is like the weekly and monthly shows that had been going on for years, the venues that used to have comedy in New York, the people that used to do the promotions for comedy on timeout and that on, on a vulture and whatever, like all those people lost their jobs, venues closed, shows died. Um, Things just didn't come back. Right. And so that vacuum which was partially, you know, like people that quit and things that closed, but also people who moved to LA, which I'll talk about in a second. I don't, which I don't count you Ooh. in this. No, no, I don't count you in this. I mean, the tra- you lived here for more than a decade. I'm, I'm joking. I know you're yeah. joking. I'm talking about the ones that lived here a year or two and moved moved to LA to get a uh, Golden Globe. <laughs> <laughs> I saw so many of those motherfuckers while I was door dashing downtown that night. <laughs> They're fucking tuxedos. Oh, my God. I mean, look, I'll name names, but it is related to this because um, that vacuum of, like, the regulars, the um, anchors, I guess, of the scene was really almost eradicated. And then um, what filled it was a whole new crop. And like, here's the thing. Every year in New York, there was a, a, a small kind of new crop of comics that just moved here, you know? But after reopening, after the pandemic, it was just like only new people, Jake. Like yeah, most of the venues closed. Most of the shows are either like famous established comedians or people you have never heard of who have been doing comedy for one year, Right. And the lineups are fucking weird. (laughs) It's just weird. So I've been showing up to some of these shows trying to be like not a crabby old person and be like, cool, I'll see what's up with these youngins, right? Like meet some people. And obviously I run into some old heads there. (laughs) And that's where I mean like the community is still there where partially I totally am feeling like the Jersey mobster visiting Brooklyn and being like, oh, shit, I'm not relevant here, you know? Uh-huh. But also, I have my connections and my people that I have shit to talk with. And uh, we pass on information about, have you checked out this show? Oh, this new kid is actually really funny. This producer's lineups are much better <laughs> than this show we're at right now. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. And um, it just simultaneously has given me a feeling of, like, time passes. But also that underlying sense of there are anchors in the scene that will probably be there longer than most of these transitory people who only come to New York to cannibalize basically everything that we build to sustain the artistry of making comic comedy and comics, frankly, they come in to use as a stepping stone to become actors and talking heads and head writers of a late night show and all these other things that like, cool, man, that's great. That totally requires a special skill. I'm not in any way trying to take that away from you. But those two years that you took away spots from people who actually like 
are 100% committed to stand up and that you not only took those spots, but you used up those spots to either run your material for your paid corporate job or to just be like, uh, so what else did I want to talk about? That sucks, man. You actively displaced art making from happening while you pursued your careerism. Yeah. Well, okay. This is a debate now. So point, I think you just made a point in my direction, which is that that's <laughs> fundamentally why this thing can't function. Are we, are we tennis players now? Do we are need we a tennis players? We need a yeah. GoFundMe. Go. <laughs> a GoFundMe. Is that a thing happening right I don't now? Know. Earlier you were like, what if tennis players need a GoFundMe? I don't oh, know. right. <laughs> okay. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> no, this we're is debaters. Me failing at doing a callback because <laughs> I don't know how to do it. Anyway, go on, Jake. Uh, but you're also pinning together acid brain shit that I'm throwing at you that's way hey, all over the place. I'm really good at talking to druggies. <laughs> <laughs> I fuck. I feel like it's, my brain is working so much better right now, and I'm always like, I should just do this all the time. That's probably not a great idea, though. Maybe it is. Well, actually, pause there for a second because. Um, I don't know why I thought of this. Oh, wait, but I wrote this down here. Uh, hold on. Sacred drug use. Yes. Because you were talking about earlier about like this, this basic idea of like how it does help you, uh, your mind open up and help you connect certain things and all of that. And one of the things that I was wanting to bring up to you separately, that's why I'm like, this shit is all connected. That's so funny. It's a rhizome, baby. Uh, I love, I, yeah. I definitely, yeah. I'm like, we don't have to prepare. We do this shit. I know. Just throw I, all this brain soup at each other and it turns into exactly. a huge thing. We're already can, always thinking about the same shit because we have like similar ideological lenses going on. And we're obsessed. It's a problem. <laughs> but um, I was thinking about sci-fi, right? And like how much, like every time I look at Twitter and everything that's going on in the world, I'm just like, a, why don't people read sci-fi? And then immediately I go to like, oh, this is why they ban books all the time. <laughs> because <laughs> shit keeps happening because people don't read about how this was already like foretold. <laughs> you know, like, so kind of right? But um, one of the things in thinking about science fiction that was foretold about the future is drugs as a form of coping with reality, right? So like Stoma and uh, Huxley, uh, you know, there's mm. a bunch of and that definitely exists those of us who take antidepressants uh definitely um people who use drugs to cope like illegal illicit drugs whatever you mm -hmm. want to call it unregulated drugs let's call it to cope um so that part of the science fiction prediction i think is really clear and obvious but i don't know that enough of them dealt with that other side of the coin which is that the dystopian nature of the capitalist colonial colonial reality is that drugs are kind of necessary for both, for one or the other, for most people, either to cope with reality or to see through reality. Let me put it to you the way I've been thinking about it all night. Okay. This is fucked up. It's kind of sad. Is um, I mean, reality is ultimately Existence. subjective. Existence is sad. <laughs> like, <laughs> I really am like, come on, we should all just be aware of that. No, we agree. <laughs> so, like, reality is kind of subjective. Whatever you're feeling is reality at a given point or whatever. But I was thinking about how, like, people used to have this idea of something like LSD being a thing that, like, 
adds to your regular human experience. You're a oh, human. I don't think so, yeah. Uh, maybe not. I mean, maybe I'm... No, I think they do. I think, yeah, and especially for, um, uh, like, tribal applications of hallucinogens, they uh, they do think of it as this, like, transcendental experience in the sense of it being an additive experience that gives you right. access to more than your normal reality. Yeah, you're, it's it's right. Okay, so that's the idea is that it's transcendent, that there's an yeah. objective zero level reality and this gives you access to higher reality. But what didn't was, you just transcend like capitalism last night? Didn't you transcend uh, yes, but like, colonial patriarchy, you know, I, and you're thinking about art? I did, but the thing is, like, whenever I take acid or mushrooms and they get me here, what I realize is that What's so tragic is that this is not a transcendent place at all. This is the zero line. This is oh, what yeah, we yeah, are yeah. supposed to be like all the time. And uh, when you're not like this, you're you're like you're constantly being robbed of like the full experience of life because of what happens to you in capitalism and how you're like displaced every day of my life. I, you know, if I sat down and I just journaled and I just like fucking try to record what I'm thinking at every given time, most of it is not like where I'm at right now, where I'm just like free to play with thoughts. It's like, <laughs> oh, I got to do this thing. I got to move my car. I got to fucking, yeah. oh shit, I got to make some money. Like, I just have to make more money. You know, it's just all you think about. Got to get, stay above water. I got to fucking send some messages. And then, like, on top of that, there's you just i mean i'm like psychically wounded by like ptsd so like I, something i talk about in therapy a lot is like i literally cannot stop having the same argument with the same person in my head all day <laughs> because part of my brain is like fucking wounded from it and it's like thinks that if it gets to the end of the argument something will happen but it like get oh, yeah that ptsd is when you just are like a wandering like Fah! you're just like trying to tell people the story about world war one that happened and like everyone's like that was 50 years ago it doesn't matter you know and I, th- that's part of that for some reason my brain needs it thinks it needs to be doing that to get through the day and it thinks it needs to be in hyper productive mode and it thinks it needs to be pushing things off and so as a creative person as an artist i always have these like the this anxiety about like when i'm going to block off time to be creative and it's almost like fucking impossible because I am a somewhat successful artist. So now I have no free time to do that. And it like defeats the entire purpose. So it's like, it's funny. It's like uh, when people who are married and have children and a mortgage try to schedule sex. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it sucks. (laughs) It should be a thing that you just have. Like, sorry. No offense, guys. (laughs) (laughs) When I fuck it, but when I'm on acid, it just like, it brings me there and it makes me feel so good. But then I immediately get so sad because I'm like, the tragedy of this is that we should be doing this all the time. And we're not. Can I tell you something? Can I tell you a fucking sweet story? So my girlfriend, right? She, uh, she threw me an indie sleaze party for my birthday. Right. That was the theme of the party. She kind of has this interesting thing going on where like to her parties are a medium in themselves. Like, She's not really like, you know, a, a comic or like a whatever. She's just like, it's kind of doing this like 70s Andy Warhol kind of thing of like, uh, oh, I'm going to throw another John one. This Cage. one's gonna... Sounds like John Cage. Yeah, like that type of shit. Next one's yeah. going to be a, a grunge party. Next one's going to be like a fucking uh, new metal thing or whatever. So she threw this Indie Sleaze party and I, I kind of forgot why. 
she threw me that like that genre because I was like, I don't know if that's really like a thing that I'm into, right? And then I, she fucking reminded me a while back because I was talking about this. And what I forgot was that like a year and a half ago, we were on tons of mushrooms and we were watching music videos and we were watching like from that era, like the aughts, indie music strokes and whatever. And I got really sad because I was having this exact like epiphany I'm talking about where I'm like, man how good this feels to watch just fucking music videos and watch how free these people are getting to be these like <laughs> fucking bougie middle-class artists who get to just have, make a video where they're just like running yeah. around in Japan with their friends and stuff. I'm watching that. And I'm like, what's so sad is this is the point of existence. Like we should by force take brought back our fucking ill taken resources and do this all day because we have enough of this shit. But because of the way <laughs> they keep us fucking working, we just, I miss it. And I was talking about how I lived through that era and I kind of missed out on it. And it, so when I see people just playing and being like, oh, MGMT, I'm like, <sighs> like that was only for rich people. It kind of bummed me out. And so that's why she threw me a fucking NDC parties because yeah. she was like, that's I'll so just funny. make one so you can do it now. <laughs> yeah. Because I was expressing this exact sentiment where I'm like, fuck, it sucks so much to want to access this moment. Yeah. So I absolutely agree with you. I love this um, coming down from acid conversation. I got to tell you, so I don't know if we ever talked about like our favorite drugs or anything, but acid is my favorite drug. It's probably the drug I ever did the most. Uh, I took my SATs on acid. I would go to school on acid. I loved acid. Um, And... Weirdly, I never had a problem with the come down. A lot of people have like uh, issues where they don't like like their neck and back cracking and I don't know, they don't feel comfortable. They get really sad. And I think partially it's what you're talking about now of like having to return to what our reality is versus what they just experienced. Right. But I fucking loved it. I love feeling how you're feeling right now. (laughs) (laughs) Because here's the thing, um, the reason that I was saying earlier that drugs are important as a either a coping with reality mechanism, if you like can't deal with a, an aspect of our reality that we can't change, then drugs are there for you to cope with uh, in good ways and bad ways. And then also, if you suspect that you are being lied to (laughs) and that the entire system of life and reality that you exist under is like wrong drugs provide you a window into how you are not crazy (laughs) it is (laughs) right yeah but that doesn't mean drugs are great and like yay the answer is we should do drugs i'm gonna go back to our buddy marks and not quote him because i don't ever memorize quotes i don't give a fuck but the point (laughs) of what the man was saying was at one point, one of the most important things I think Marx ever said was that um, leisure is the privilege of the rich only. Ah, exactly. That part of capitalism is inherently, like part of the way the capitalist functions is inherently to keep you so physically, keep the worker so physically and mentally ex- exhausted that in any free time that they would have, they actually wouldn't have time for leisure. They wouldn't have that, the energy for leisure, which would keep we, them in their place. This is exactly what I'm talking about. And the fucking thing that's at the center of this is the class divide between fucking artists because I'm like so jealous because I, as a person who's like soul wants to 
fucking make shit. Uh, like I'm experiencing having to fucking work so hard just to get a moment of that leisure time. And I'm competing <laughs> with a bunch of dickheads who don't even understand that they have 24 seven access to yeah. that leisure time. And that, you know, that, Jake, I would even add to that. What about how honestly ridiculous it is that both people who didn't have access to that leisure and people who had access to that leisure choose to turn leisure, pleasure, passion, enjoyment into a job. (laughs) Do you understand how sick that is? Like that is part of this like sellout concept missing from our current society thing that I'm talking about. Right. Yeah. So that's why I'm not a homework comedy person though. Yeah, no, totally. So there are comics who are, let's say, like of our class, of working class, poor classes, and they like really did risk everything to become comics, to move to move to New York, to pursue um, open mics, to try to be the best comics that they can. They're doing like some side job that has nothing to do with comedy so that they can keep doing their thing. And their goal is let me get famous, <coughs> let me get become a celebrity let me get on late night let me get a job writing for a tv show let me become a famous actor their goal is how do i turn this into a job all right yeah i I constantly think about this basketball player whose name i don't fucking remember but the one from the uh he's like an eastern european super tall Jokic. i was thinking about him the other day (laughs) (laughs) exactly about this too because he is a guy who's like he has an inherent talent he obviously (laughs) at some point had a passion for basketball enough to develop the skill and then he got a job he yeah. got a literal corporate <laughs> job being a basketball player. He's and the only person who addresses that situation reasonably. Like, like it's his job. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he doesn't act like this is like a passion project a thing I do because of the goodness of my heart. It's not separate from capitalism. It is capitalism. Yeah. And there Everyone was, was making fun of him because they won the fucking championship yeah. and they interviewed him. Usually they're like, oh, it's the best day of my life. And he just went, the job is over. Let's go home. I want to yeah. go do something else. Oh, that was my favorite video. At some point, the, a reporter asked him like, oh, are you going to go to the parade tomorrow? And he like turned to the other player next to him and was like, we have to go to a parade tomorrow. <laughs> like, so mad. <laughs> and then he like turns back around like, no, I have to go home. <laughs> so I have to go home. It's a job like any other job. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't want to be here. <laughs> people don't want to look at it that way, but it's like, it's one of those things where he's like, he's like John Brown during slavery. It's yeah. like, no, he's actually the only sane person. <laughs> Everyone else is looking at this through because mm-hmm. we're fucking in the cloud of superstructure and capitalism. We're, we're like, trying to convince ourselves that this massive contradiction in the center of monetizing art doesn't exist. And actually, no, I really am doing it. I am having a great time and I'm making money and it doesn't fucking, you know, eat in on itself at all. So he's great. He's like one of those people that's like, he's like a fucking like a Melville story or something. Bartleby the Scrivener. Well, and to bring it all the way around, like um, I don't want to say that this is something that only affects artists. It also affects fans of art, right? Because the reason that the last 15 years have produced comedians who are all hustle crabs, mostly hustle crabs who only care about getting those credits and getting a good tape and looking good in in photography on Instagram, um, as opposed to like, I don't know, writing new material. (laughs) Um, They are uh, 
it's not like they're not finding success, right? <laughs> they are. So this comes in two parts. First, let's talk about the audience and then let's talk about the industry, right? Okay. Because these are two things that we kind of wanted to talk about. One is that I'm just going to go ahead and say, like, I think a few episodes ago or maybe in a private conversation, I asked, I was telling you that whenever I travel to another country, I go and I watch stand up, right? Not like a famous comedian in a theater, but like a local show, right? And I'll usually end up hanging out with the comics when I go with Gabe. Uh, Sometimes he'll be on the show and then I'll get to like meet some of them and talk to them, whatever. Because usually, you know, I don't try to get up in there like a weirdo and talk to them. (laughs) But sometimes I hang and I end up talking to them. And... Once they find out that I live in New York and I sometimes work in comedy, they, they will always ask me, like, oh, my God, do you know X? And it's always the same comic, Jake. <laughs> and it is not the comic that you would think. Like, really? just guess, guess three names that you think it would be. And then so I'm going to tell you. The question is, every country you go to, everyone goes, oh, do you know X? Yeah, like, they love this person. It's a him. They love him and think, like, holy shit. Do you know him? Have you met him? He's amazing. Yeah. This is like a famous comic? Mm. <laughs> I mean, people in other countries are saying they like him, but I would have <laughs> never guessed. Um, uh, Who the fuck do I think is huge international? It's, I mean, like, there's like, you know, what's his name? Russell Peters is like huge internationally in a way. That, Brilliant like, oh. guest. Not Russell. <laughs> um... Also not New York based. So Oh gotcha. Okay. Uh seller, maybe a comedy seller person like um uh who the fuck is a seller person? I don't just fucking tell me. I don't know. <laughs> because you would have never guessed, okay? Andrew Schultz. Oh, that dickhead. Isn't that weird? I'm not signing <laughs> off on the dickhead comment, but uh, I mean, he's. Not, I'm not saying he's a nice person either. <laughs> I'm just saying this is not a comment about Andrew or Andrew's comedy or anything. But here's okay, I think he's a Nazi. So yeah, we'll that later. okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll talk about that later. But here's or no, not later. We're talking about that right now. Here's the thing. <laughs> um, my point is not to criticize him exactly, even though we're going to get to that in a second. But remember, I brought this up as like the audience wants this. The audience. Yeah. Like, no, like this. This and doesn't not, surprise me at all, actually. No, He's exactly, filled exactly. that fucking void on purpose. Exactly. And so the fact that comics also are like, holy shit, I look up to this guy. And then when I, because Jake, if you fucking say that to me, I'm going to be like, explain yourself. <laughs> so like, <laughs> I get into it and then, you know, uh, he's never going to hear this. So it's never like he writes the best jokes. He's the funniest guy I've ever seen. I think he's always right about everything. It's not that it's not them signing off on his Nazi bullshit or borderline misogynist, racist, Asian hating, like all that shit. It's not that it's them going. I respect the fact that he came up without needing the traditional paths. <sighs> he made his own audience that he used that audience. Unlike, you know, there's like a lot of big podcast boys who can still sell out a show, but they're not really doing stand up. They're just talking to an audience that likes them. Yeah. Uh, and Andrew's not doing that. Andrew is doing stand-up. Andrew did a stand-up special. He put it out on his own and YouTube. And then because it did so well, I think Netflix picked it up. And now he's like in movies. It's crazy. And it's just because of the fact that like he was completely rejected by Comedy Central, by the seller, by like everything. Yeah. 
And then he found his own path. So they admire this. But the path that he found, Jake, as you were intimating, <laughs> is <laughs> the bigot spigot, right? Of like, you know, whenever I talk to somebody about Andrew, they'll be like, exactly, they'll react exactly like you did. But here's the thing, like, I saw Andrew at uh, CB's Comedy Club, you know, when he was new and he was like a filler comic, not famous, not a lot of followers. And he wasn't always like this. He of was course like, not. <laughs> he know? followed the fucking money. Money, exactly. Because communism is dead, false consciousness is, yeah. is like this thing that is running no rampant. concept of sellout. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's the most popular shit on earth because it addresses an anxiety that the only other thing that would address that is is fucking fundamentally like criticizing and attacking the mode yeah. of production of the society. That's the only way, other than the fucking false consciousness, the socialism yeah. of fools of being like a Trump. Oh, all this anxiety you're feeling is because of immigrants and whatever and yeah. wokeness and yeah. yeah. That stuff's fucking running rampant because we killed the only, like, actual explanation yeah. for it. No, and, so- and every comic that is doing well is doing exactly the thing of pandering to traditionalism, pandering to Zionism, pandering to racism, pandering... But you're right. They don't start off like that. They feel yeah. it out. And then yeah. they start to convince themselves that they're, like, uh, they almost be right, right because of the money. Yeah. But the thing is, like... I mean, whatever. That's a problem in itself. But what really bums me out is what you're saying about so many fucking the, the reason that shit works so well. Part of it, the reason that people like it so much, is because, like, for whatever reason, the ideological space that millennials live in, they need like artists to be like role models for them. Like they want to like live through them. They're like, I'm so happy yeah. that this guy's doing it. What about he's an art? Just tell me whether his jokes are funny or not. Like tell me yeah. whether the song no, no, no. is good. You know, this thing where you're like, I like I'm getting to like pretend I'm like he's like me, like a possibility of me if I had lived my life that yeah, way. You're identifying with like I could possibly. It's like that poor Who man with cares. Yeah, totally. And but but Jake, the power of it is really fucking real because so let's go back to like award shows and boomers and the concepts of sellouts, right? Yeah. So uh, Golden Globes, right? I think this was the year I'm actually not bringing up the bear. <laughs> I am bringing up <laughs> the, the comedy award, right? The stand up special. You saw that? Uh, refresh my memory. Uh, was it the Golden Globes? I want to say whatever. One of these fucking awards had for the first time ever uh, an award for the best stand-up special. Okay. Oh, and wow. the nominees were exactly who, if you asked your mom to name oh. five famous comedians, <laughs> those were the nominees. And then the, the winner was the British office piece of shit, fucking not funny dude. What's his name? Ricky uh, Gervais. Ricky Gervais. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So understand. So here's the thing. Uh, Andrew Schultz was rejected by the boomer fucking run standard industry, right? So he went off and he found his own little path to pandering to a group that gave him clicks and money and status. Which then to the Netflix people and the Comedy Central people and the people who book movies and at midnight and whatever, it becomes, well, now he has enough of a following and he's important enough that we should pay attention to him. So they put him in these things. And then those are the same level of people who are deciding things like what should be in the comedy category for best comedy 
TV show or best stand-up comedy album. And they are not people who are here out here actually watching any artists. They're literally just kind of like watching the stocks of comedy, if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like they're watching the lists and the uh, retweet and like, I don't know, just like how much um, they call it heat. They used to call it heat. <laughs> You remember that? (laughs) And literally, like, how much heat a comic has is how much they're being talked about, how much they're being mentioned in lists that are written up, how much agents are talking about them, how much other comics are talking about them. So Andrew got a bunch of heat purely because of disregarding the mainstream, like, uh, legacy industry way to do it. So then the idiot legacy industry is so clueless and so tasteless in comedy that they immediately went, oops, sorry we rejected you. Come on back. <laughs> we'll give you stuff. <laughs> That's literally what they did with Che. Che yeah. got passed over for JFL for all this stuff. And then all of a sudden, like, he did get, he got, like, Daily Show. And then JFL was like, absolutely, come back. Headline your own night. Sorry we passed <laughs> you over. <laughs> you know, like, you need to understand that these, like, industry people and these award shows they're not people they're not serious people who actually care or know anything about comedy so oh i i I understand that fucking loud and clear yeah totally but i think so many of these people then when they're if you're like idolizing what andrew has achieved which is an achievement then you need to understand that you're starting from the point of you believe comedy to be a job and to be measured by how much money you make and how many followers you have and how much approval you get. Right. And and I got to tell you, that is not what Lenny Bruce measured his career by. No, that's stupid. This has always driven me insane. The fact that it's so like so common to, to use that as the metric for success is ideologically so cynical but like most people believe it and i think there really is a generational divide between like i I don't know maybe fucking gen xers and millennials or something like that but uh you're right like someone like gen x and i i'm gonna say that like with the exception of the few sellouts within gen x who went off to become corporate shitholes and work for like record labels and fucking networks and whatever the majority of gen x does not know how to play this game. That's why, like, Max is... <laughs> right? No, I but agree 100%. It's boomers and millennials having this conversation over our heads. Those of us who have a Gen X ethical frame right. for art. This is why I always identify with Gen Xers more when it comes to this stuff. Yeah. And like, I mean, I, I, award shows as a thing are kind of like a interesting playing out of a lot of that ideology, like asking someone what they think of award shows is a good litmus test for whether, how they're approaching this sort of stuff. Cause to me, yeah. I've always been like, Oh, of course they're like dumb. Like you're bullshit. But shit. people yeah. fucking love watching these shows. Yeah. And I think it's because if you believe that these metrics are proof positive of the quality of the thing, which just doesn't make any fucking sense. Cause like, how do people understand that bad shit is popular like all the time? Because like cheese pizza, yeah. everyone can eat it. It doesn't mean it's the best pizza, right? But like the the myth that these things are um, just they're, they're just by the metric, you know, uh, yeah. they, they, they the best yeah. thing wins the award is uh, 
it's weird and i think it's shattered if you like understand the history of like where the academy came from and stuff like that because like i listened to a pretty good podcast about that a while back about like you know how the the academy came about as like a union busting tactic guess guess what everything in history is like this everything in the 20th century everything in history is uh to keep black people or immigrants out or women out of it they came yeah. up with rule. Yeah. <laughs> um and because it's always been fundamentally conservative and sort of like um you know by and for the ruling class and a thing where you have to like kind of lobby to them and go will you let me get the trophy and like be part of your inner circle and stuff uh it it's it created this like meta inner thing where eventually like when you make a movie in hollywood you also have to construct a part of the film shoot that is a lobbying project to try to get it to get the the award at the end of the year so that you then (laughs) can get more funding to make another one that then you the goal is to get the award to prove to people look i got the award therefore this is good not this is good therefore i got the award the other fucking way around i've always looked at awards i've been like no the clearly this is dumb right yeah like innately i don't know no totally it is um i saw a really funny tweet (laughs) Not to be that person, but somebody was like, you know how everybody got really mad about how uh, Barbie, the only nomination that the Barbie movie got was for the dude that played Ken. That is very funny that they did. It's that. so funny. And I'm going to tell you that I saw two really funny tweets, uh, in my opinion, really funny. But one was like, oh, everybody's so mad at this. They obviously don't know about award show history. The way this works is you never win an award for your best film. You'll win an award for your third worst film in 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> I think that guy was like, she'll win an award for her third worst film, a biopic about Hillary in 20 years. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yeah, exactly. And then the really funny one was, uh, you know, because everybody was mad that the man got the award for Barbie. And somebody was like, uh, they called Twitter and was like, fixed it. <laughs> All they did was change Ryan Gosling's thing to uh, nominated for Best Actress. <laughs> <laughs> Look beautiful. I love it. But uh, I will quickly throw out an opinion out here on this. Um, if you got really upset by that, your problem is white feminism. <laughs> uh, you are short-sightedly only seeing white women as a representation of feminism and not seeing that the first ever Native American woman got uh, nominated for Best Actress for a movie. Uh, so why is it so important that it has to be the pretty white lady that you identify with. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, but, but even is it like getting an also, award America, doesn't prove that the thing is good. Totally, so like, absolutely. <laughs> no, yes, yes, you're totally right. But also America Ferrara got, did you know that? Yeah. So America Ferrara, the Latina in the movie got nominated for best actress in the movie. I saw these people mad, like from a, from a supposedly feminist point of view, they're mad that she that got it and not Margot Robbie. It. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, well, all right, totally. what's really going on here? You're mad that a white lady didn't get it and non-white women got nominated. Like, it's, it's crazy. Can I tell you something? You need to check care. your white feminism shit. I fucking thoroughly enjoyed that movie. I was great. It's so good. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> I don't give a fuck if any of those people get awards or ever work again because they're not. Yeah. They're not fucking. This is society of the spectacle shit. Where like yeah. the thing where they function as avatars and images, 
for us Idea. to like cope yeah. with not having any leisure time by going, well, someone's doing it. Like yeah. that shit it doesn't work on me. I know it's bullshit. I see through the bullshit. I'm taking enough acid. I have the they live glasses on and like, I don't fucking care. They're not uh, like, there's this weird thing with like the, the artists or role models and projections of me thing. I think when, when the, when you're, the image that people have of them that helps them cope with the fucking horrors of living a life robbed of leisure time. When that image is violated, I think what it does is it violates, it makes it, it shoots them back into reality. And suddenly yeah. they're like, Oh no, I do just have to go to a job every day until I die. There isn't a, another possible me out there. That's Margot Robbie and that's living a great life or whatever. And that's very threatening, which is why people get so emotional when like, you know, something bad happens to a fucking actor. Who cares? They're just some artists. I thought about this a lot when John, when people were really mad at John Mulaney for, uh, you know, making that special about being a cokehead and stuff. Yeah. And it's Which like, was really good. <laughs> excellent. I loved yeah. it. Uh, but people were so mad about it. And I was like, why are you so mad? I think you were it's mad at him it, as a person. But I think it's more that, like, Jake, your belief that he was, like, a good guy. Before. Being yeah. violated, violated your foundational fucking reality. Okay, but that is all I think, like, this is where I come in as an acid head, and I'm like, obviously. <laughs> the reality is that um, because capitalism is the oxygen in which we exist, the water in which we swim, um, what we consume is part of our identity and especially in the west we understand what we consume as defining of who we are including of our identity our ethics our morals our preferences all of that so people go around like that's why you know there's like a long running show in brooklyn (laughs) that i do not enjoy uh i've never (laughs) enjoyed it quite frankly and the reason that i don't enjoy it is because it has a very like i call it like an npr audience uh the room is always full which is why comics look forward to performing there but i'm going to tell you um it is the kind of room where like the audience preemptively claps for LGBTQ POCs like as soon as they're introduced at their premises you know what I mean they are like tight buttholes if a straight white man walks on the stage they are uh, people who get babysitters so that they can come out that night to be reminded that they are good people who consume the right stuff I fucking so hate that those they audiences have stuff to agree with that they can clap agreeingly with. Yeah, and, and the thing though is they're not different from Andrew's audiences. They're not different from Tim Dillon's audiences. They're just the other side of that spectrum. Right, two sides of the same coin. Because yeah. the thing is, the the Tim Dillon and Andrew Schultz audiences, yeah, hate those audiences. Like everything mm-hmm. that you just said that made me cringe inside while you were listening to it. I could feel <laughs> the experience. They're like. The, yeah, they're, we they're not that. wrong yeah. to cringe at that. It's just that because but we live in a world that. devoid of the actual explanations of why that suck, then this right wing thing comes seeing, in. They're not seeing that they're doing the exact same thing as the people who run this Brooklyn show and the comics who perform there, where they are just choosing, like they identified that's cringe. I don't want to do it for you in this way. But they found a whole audience to be like, you approve. This is what you like. You like it when I cross these lines. When I make sort of a, a right, they're just performing in the same exactly. fucking way as when people are like, "Oh, totally. look how fucking conscious I am," and I have my tote bag, and I was an NPR. Which is what? Tourist art. It's 
uh, it's not art that's coming from you and your heart and your voice as an artist. It's pandering. Yeah. I mean, like woke and anti-woke are both two sides of, like of the, I mean, I'd say there's an actual capital W woke before that term yeah. got co-opted. It just meant smart. And that's yeah, a good yeah, thing. But the performative woke shit you're talking about in those lib yeah, clubs versus the performative yeah. anti-woke, I'm going to dunk on those people. That is all part of the same culture war. And it's just two fucking opposing teams. But there's like an illusion of choice there when you're like, you know, it's like when two football teams are playing. Well, it's like, well, who cares? They're both. They both work for the same company, you know? Yeah. Or voting Democrat or Republican. Exactly. It's the same fucking thing. <laughs> Can I tell you one more thing before I lose this thought or whatever? Totally. No, I'm done. Go for it. Connected to like everything we're talking about. It's a little bit adjacent. Is it like, okay, so I was talking earlier about how I'm like, you know, seeing that I live this way where I'm like, I'm, I'm a working class comic and I'm like, man, I'm so jealous of like, these comics that come from the other side of the class barrier where they have nothing but leisure time and they get to use it to be an artist. Sure. Whereas I'm like, this is a really scarce resource, right? (sighs) So what's interesting that's been happening to me lately, like this point in my career is that I, I did all right. Like as a person who fucking scraped by and I don't think I did it with like selling out. I think I hit, there's like a middle ground. I like to call sustainability where I, I I don't I I believe in everything I do. I don't feel like I'm bullshitting people, and I make enough money to live, and it's cool. But it's fucking exhausting. Like I got here, and it, you know I work. Uh, what do they say? Like love what you do. You never work a day in your life. They're fucking lying. All you do is lying. Work, right. Yeah. <laughs> um. Frick. So I'm like, whew, okay, this is interesting. I got just barely above water and I'm kind of coasting, but man, I would love, like, I'm so jealous of people's ability to just, sometimes I'm like, if I had the leisure time that rich people have, I don't know if I would want to make art. Like I might just live no, like that. Cause yeah. that's like, why even make a facsimile if you're just doing it all the time? Not just well, that, but the people that are like, like the rich people in comedy. Jake, yeah. It's honestly like, they're not dedicating that much more time to comedy than you are. Right. They just also have all this extra free time to do other things. And they don't realize <laughs> that if they did just do it, like really yeah. go hard on it, they could probably like do they a did lot better than they fucking. Week. Yeah. Like if they did like a 40 hour a week job version of comedy, they probably, well, that's what Michelle Wolf did. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's what I would do if I got to live as one of those people. Yeah. So, but the thing is, because I've done pretty well from down here, sometimes things balance out a little bit and people from that world, they want a piece of me. Right. So I get taken for a ride kind of like the fucking artist in the curse where I have some rich person that's like, well, let's hang out. And the entire time I'm with them, they're on permanent vacation. And I'm like, it's stressing me out. I'm like losing money. We can't just keep going out to dinner. What are you fucking doing out of your mind? (laughs) I'll have a coffee and toast. (laughs) (laughs) And they're, but they're like, they're they're kind of jealous of what I have mm-hmm. and I'm jealous of what they have and they're almost like like hey I've got all these resources uh you know but how do I get what you have and I'm like fuck that get, I would love to just be rich and then I wouldn't need yeah. to be a comedian or a podcaster yeah but also Jake I get the same thing where I have had both bookers and comedians like straight up tell me that they like respect 
my ethics so much and the fact that like I made certain choices that they <clears> didn't <throat> and that I am uh, respected all around for saying what I mean and meaning what I say and having like real taste and not selling out, right? Not being well, this, a sellout. This is what helps but me sleep like, at night. Say it, like I've had a Comedy Central executive say this <laughs> to me. I've had like, so they say it in this way where I'm like, oh, so like literally I had somebody be like, you know, like, you're just too awesome to work for us, but like totally want to be your friend. <laughs> like, oh my God. So like, great. Uh, you're all these kinds of people that like didn't have the courage to make the choices that I made and live the life that I have to lead, lead because of the choices that I made. But then you also want the proximity credit of like knowing someone like me and right. being friends with someone like me. And that fucking sucks because I'm not getting paid what you're getting paid. Right. Every time you ask me a question about who should be on this and whatever, yay, okay, great. I'm getting to help some comics get on some shit. But that's you making a living off of my opinions and my time and my labor and that's my connections. them eating the turkey without my fucking turkey. thinking exactly. about it. And it's not even like don't eat it. It's like acknowledge what you're doing when you exactly. eat it. Exactly. Man. <laughs> Maybe give me a couple of bucks because you had a little turkey sandwich thanks to me. Yeah. But the fact that she fucking eats it and doesn't get that and then later yeah. on gets and then it it's and like, it what is, blows was that wrong? Off. Yeah. No, Jake, I've literally had that where later they're like, um, did I do something wrong? Are you mad at me? Um, you know, like I keep trying to hang out and I'm like, what? Like what on earth made you think that we were on the same plane of existence? <laughs> like, <you> know, <laughs> maybe they need to take some acid. I don't know. <laughs> I, <laughs> to bring it all around. I do kind of like I know every people people hate the fact that all like prestige TV shows are like about how rich people are sad right now. <laughs> I don't hate it. I think it's, it's right. Yeah. I think well, I think that like when I look at that and I think about this stuff where I'm like, you know what? Like they do, they are kind of jealous of us because they know yeah. that we're authentic and they we find joy in the smallest thing. Dude, watching Palestinian videos where they're like literally like <sighs> no shoes, their whole fucking block is destroyed and they're sharing like a fucking pot of soup with like seven people. And like a kid is dancing barefoot with a fucking cat. And you're like, they find joy in the smallest moment, no matter what you do to them. Literally, that is what Israel's mad at. <laughs> Meanwhile, whoever the fuck white person you know's rich Republican dad is like drinking a scotch somewhere and looking off into the moonlight, and he's just like, I can't feel anything, right? Because like, what I, I do think that when you look at this and you realize that rich people, no matter how much they have the material access to the leisure time and stuff it, they're you know they're they're technically better off than us and stuff yeah. uh th the forces of all this equalize like they're trying to even out and that that's what that is is w when you eventually realize like oh these people aren't happy if they were happy they would take the money and run and never talk to us yeah. again but the fact and that they do kind of want to be us is like okay. at least the forces of history are moving in the right direction well, here. It's, it's trying to even itself out what I would say to the working class people, because I, I think a lot of what I just told you is like examples of how the working class people have been <clears> continuously <throat> signing up to wanting to follow this path. But what I would say to all of us is to, I guess, remember that if you don't want what they have, you won't hate yourself. And yeah. if you hate yourself, 
you have what they will never have. Yeah, that's true. Because they hate themselves. They hate like everything we see from every novel, TV show, movie, history book, everything we know to be true. Like even when you like talked about like how Furio had to go to America and like whatever, like Jake, that's like a full on medieval feudal feudal practice of like the way that you um, retained allies was by like sending over your youngest son to be raised in the household of your enemy <coughs> that would ensure no war and like peace until he turned 18. Right. Or yeah. your daughter gets married to your enemy's son and she immediately goes and lives there. So there is just this like level of feudalism that still exists in our society. <laughs> that If we liberate ourselves from believing that the reason that we were put on earth is to aspire to being like Elon Musk, <laughs> then we will l appreciate and love everything about our life. Like this pot of soup we can share with somebody or this drug we shared with someone or the sex we had with someone or this, you know, like this conversation we had with someone, this like real joy yeah. that rich people do not have because they don't have an inner circle or a community or a trusted one or even family that likes them. <laughs> you know, no, like, they don't have it. What they have is a facsimile yeah. of it. Yeah. That's what I started off arguing. <laughs> yeah. No, we're we're not arguing. We're never arguing. We're not. We're saying the same thing. Yeah. Ten different <laughs> <Exactly>. sides. <laughs> it's a rhizome of acid and um, multiple time zones. You get it. You guys get it. I just, uh, just got to like try to remind myself. I don't even know if that works. Reminding yourself to yeah. think about this stuff. Like I, I think it's. I don't know. Do I, do I just keep taking acid so I'm like this? Do I use that? Well, I think that's the point of taking it is that it's a periodic reminder that you're not wrong. <laughs> that you're not crazy. <laughs> that life could be more beautiful if we weren't oppressed by all these systems and all these expectations. If we didn't buy into them. If we didn't have to live with people who buy into them. <laughs> um and for me, honestly, like acid did help with depression in the sense of like, it made me feel not crazy. It made me feel like, oh, actually, like, it's kind of like, uh, imagine like in a horror movie where you keep glim glimpsing out of the corner of your eye, like some shit in the mirror or like, you know, whatever. <laughs> and then when you finally get to look the the phantasm in the <clears throat> face and be like, no, I was not going crazy. The <laughs> shit was moving all along, <laughs> you yeah. know? then it's like reassuring. Like, sure, now I have to deal with the fact that there's a phantasm in my house. <laughs> but also, I wasn't fucking crazy. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Like the smile curse. It's real. Yeah, true. <laughs> We're having fun out here, folks. Um, we hope you are, too. I'm glad to be back talking with Jake. I can't wait to talk about whatever we talk about next week. Because I literally, again, came to this being like, ah, oh, maybe we shouldn't do this because I have nothing to talk about. <laughs> uh, I knew this was going to happen. I had a head full of shit swirling around. I was like, it'll all throw it at you and then a bunch of shit will come out of you. Yeah, it's we easy. do love vomiting ideas onto each other. Beautiful picture. Somebody it's draw riffing. That. It's constructive <laughs> in itself, you know. It's additive art, people. Also, I've been having conversations like this for the last 12 hours. So I, I was it. like, I'll, I'll just have another one. I love I it. Did. Are you are you doing your birthday month until January thirty first or until February twentieth? 
fucking it's done i'm done celebrating it i don't know i just wanted to know how hot girl you had become since moving to la <laughs> the party i was at last night was not for me it was for somebody else and i was That's just even better but there were people there who hadn't seen me so they're like oh hey and i was like sure i guess it's still happening That's but I'm, way not, better. I'm not i'm done i'm 37 now and i'm don't don't worry. You don't have to think about it until a year from now. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> I love it. I can't wait. I'm um, sure we'll see each other before then in real life. But um, until then, we'll chat next week. Uh, don't write its emails. I don't know. But sign up to our Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> if you want we just fucking said, just give us some fucking money. <laughs> get your break. <laughs> I am going to put this on the Patreon first so they can hear it first. And then whatever, we'll put it okay. out for the other people later. Keep fucking... <laughs> We're just asking for sustainability here, not to get rich. Not to be celebrities. As a matter of fact, never tell anybody about this podcast. <laughs> no. Jake disagrees, but I <laughs> I think every time you get a 3% raise at your corporate job, you should just do a 3% raise on your Patreon <laughs> if you love us. But also it's cool because we're not – well, I'm not doing this for the money. <laughs> I can't speak for Jake. I'm doing this to um, – Sort of like doing acid, a weekly, just let this out of my brain. I'm not going crazy. Let me talk to one person who agrees with me <laughs> and will not make me feel nuts. I don't do this podcast for money, but it would be nice if it paid money because I am living on race yeah, within yeah, margins because- now that I am in, in indoors like a human. Yeah, <laughs> indoors. <laughs> also, yeah, it does mean less having to slice off pieces of ourselves if we are getting money for not slicing pieces of ourselves <laughs> yeah so that's nice it's true but either way wishing everybody a good week happy new year all that shit do some acid if you if drugs disagree with you don't do some acid do something else to try to break through reality and uh remind yourself you're not wrong or crazy because you think that we shouldn't have to live like this i think if you try hard enough you could do that sober the drugs just yeah. are a nice for some of us, uh, lube. a cheat. <laughs> but a that's mental a lube. I am will. going to try to take the lessons here and like make it to where when I am sober tomorrow, yeah. I can still. I, I genuinely think that Mike Kaplan gets to acid levels of uh, enlightenment with just like meditating. Yeah. But well, first thing know, I'm going to do is try to remind myself what you fucking said where we landed on a while ago, which is that. We are, they're jealous of us. We are like, our <laughs> lives are cool, you know. We, they are, and we should not be jealous. There's the only thing to be jealous of is that they have money and access to all this stuff. But it's like <sighs> that's the only thing, man. They're not it's, happy with just that thing. They would give it all up to, to be have poor and have. cool. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's so true. Why do you think like black fashion and music is the coolest thing ever? It's because no matter what. Capitalism, colonialism, patriarchy, and fucking white supremacy has done to black cultures around the world. They continue to produce the most creativity and the most happiness and the most beauty around what they do and what they like and how they present themselves. And then it becomes something that all these rich people want to emulate and steal because they have nothing. Even with all their money. Yeah, and when they try to like make it themselves it doesn't Whack. come out organically it's not real it it's a facsimile like a <laughs> it comes out like a you copied a, a clone too many times and it's like i'm a community no you're not no 
Exactly. Exactly. Um, I guess if you have questions, write to us. We prefer that you contact us through Patreon, though, as we said. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> follow Jake at Viral Jokes uh, on Twitter. I and Instagram. I'm at Luisa Diaz Nuts on both. And also, we're I'm trying to do the blue sky thing, although I check it, but I don't tweet because I think I don't have anything happy to say. Or blue sky. How do you say? Oh, it's a skeet. That's what I heard. <laughs> I've, I've fucking done that in months. I've gave up. Yeah, I check it out. I like some stuff, but I don't. I have like nothing to say, and I don't want to poison it with my anti-war rhetoric yet. <laughs> so I just stick to Twitter, where I can be my angry communist self and keep getting unfollowed and feel Hi, good Lucy. about it. Oh, is she here? Where is she? Oh, I just, she's over here. How did you I know? S- I saw her. She walked out of the laundry thing. She did. She's over here. Come okay, here, thank you for doing my plugs. That was, that was a cool Oh, move. yeah, you're welcome. I also want to plug my new podcast about King of the Hill that I do with my friend Avery oh, Moore. It's called yes, That's My Podcast, it. I Don't Know You, and Pod Damn America, my other show. That's it. I'm done. Can't, can't wait. Can't wait to hear it. We love you. We're glad to be back. See you next week. Bye.